Welcome to the Mayo Clinic Cardiovascular Continuing Medical Education Podcast. Join us each week to discuss the most pressing topics in cardiology and gain valuable insights that can be directly applied to your practice. Hello, my name is Paul Friedman. I'm chair of the Department of Cardiovascular Medicine. And I'm delighted to be speaking today with Dr. Mauricio Villavicencio, who's an associate professor of surgery and uh, a leader in heart transplantation. And today we're going to talk about ex vivo heart perfusion. Dr. Villavicencio, welcome. Well, thanks very much for, for having me and uh, to speak about this uh, kind of hot topic of ex vivo heart perfusion and transplant. Hot topic seems like an appropriate description for this particular uh, therapy. So why don't we start with the basics? What is ex vivo perfusion? Well, I, I think to understand it a little bit better, uh, we have to go a little bit back on how we have done heart transplantation for the last 30 years, uh, since the pioneers of heart transplantation. And we have done it, you know, going to a brain dead uh, donor in which the heart is beating. And we have uh, taken that heart and give essentially a cold flush with solution and put it in, in a cooler, essentially. And that, that has given us around four hours most of the time to perform the, the transplant, which obviously has some you know, logistical limitations and uh, distance and that for more complex operations problems. But that has been pretty much uh, uh, the success of the heart transplant doing it this way with cold storage. Um, as we can say. So, so the basic idea with cold storage is cool the heart down, limit its metabolic activity to limit ischemia so that it can safely travel before it's reimplanted. That's sort of the fundamental, and that's what's being upended with this new intervention. Yes, that, that is correct. And then we have tried to struggle to stretch it a little bit in that way, but it's not really that safe you know, to stretch the time that can be out. So it's cold, it's immobile, it's not working. So it is, uh, you know, prolongs its time. And then if all of all organ uh, transplant is the one that tolerates less time, you know, so compared to the lung, the liver, the kidney, you know, you could preserve a heart for a w way less time than other organs. So we, it's a handicap uh, of the cold storage. Got it. So what are the major advantages then of ex vivo heart perfusion and how does it work? What is it? So ex, ex vivo heart perfusion is uh, you can take a, again for that brain dead heart beating donor. We will talk a little bit later about the non heart beating donor. And you take it from that uh, heart beating donor and then you hook the heart uh, to a device. This, this device, the one that's FDA approved is, is called the OCS heart device. And then essentially what it does is that pumps blood into the aorta. So the aorta is hooked to a cannula. So the blood uh, goes in a pressure that normally is kind of normal pressure, 60 or blood pressure and uh, perfuses the coronaries and then comes back through the coronary sinus. And then uh, what you have to do surgically is close the inferior vena cava and the superior vena cava and then to let that heart go and uh, go through the right ventricle, the pulmonary artery, and then we capture it in a cannula that is, is on the pulmonary artery. And then there's a little bit of blood that is spilled over that goes uh, through a receptacle that again is collected again. So we got the, the venous blood connected through the pulmonary artery and from some that is coming down from the reservoir 
And that goes, it's very similar to an ECMO concept. So in terms that then goes through a pump, then it goes through an oxygenator and then gets pumped into the heart again. So that, that is the concept, ex vivo heart uh, perfusion. And the one we uh, use uh, now in the clinical setting is one that is mobile. So you could, you know, take the, the device, you know, uh, transport in, a, in an airplane or in an ambulance, and then uh, you perfuse the heart at your normal normal thermic temperature. Uh, so you bring up the, the temperature up to 36 degrees to do the perfusion. It's not clear how far can you go, but most of the people have done perf uh, total out of the body time of around eight hours or even more. Uh, so that, that's the, the beauty of it. That's really remarkable. Now, is this being done for lungs or other organs as well, or, or just for the heart at this stage? Yes, I, it's done for the lungs that, you know, my other expertise is, is, is lung transplant, but I think the benefits uh, in, in the heart side are more than on the lung side. And the reason for that is that you could do cold storage in the lung side for easily 10, 11, 12 hours, gotcha. which we don't, we don't have on the heart. So in the heart is more critical. There are certain situations in the lung that can uh, be useful. For example, the DCD donors, we could talk a little bit more about what are the uh, DCD donors. But uh, in general, I, I see uh, on the heart side to be more useful. Tell me a little bit about the role of this technology in heart liver transplants and how it could be helpful. Well, you know, uh, because the history, you know, heart liver transplant have been a very high risk uh, operation. Uh, you know, the, most of the patients that have fontans have multiple uh, sternotomies previously, and then they are very uh, sick, and uh, then they are sensitized, so they have antibodies against human tissue. So I, I think one of the, you know, great advantages of having those CS uh, device that we are doing heart liver transplant, but with the liver first. So we do the liver first, which is an easier operation. Doesn't have, I mean, there's no previous operations. And then, so you do the, uh, the liver transplant and, and uh, then the heart has been out, you know, six or seven hours and then you go and do the heart transplant. And then has the beauty later on that, uh, you know, when you come off the heart and lung bypass machine, there's less vasoplegia because the liver is already in, and then there's less coagulopathy, so the, the, the liver is working, and then so the patients bleed less. So that's quite a bit an advantage. And there's a, a third very important advantage that in these patients that are sensitized, if you do the liver first and you do some pretreatment, you know, with medication, the liver can take off, you know, the antibodies, again, uh, HLA antigens. So uh, you could uh, use it, uh, you know, to uh, treat very highly sensitized patients in a, you know, liver heart uh, transplant, liver first. So it's very exciting technology. Oh, amazing, really. And, and the time interval between the liver transplant and the heart transplant is usually how long? Well, it's, it's almost nothing because what it happens is when you do the liver implant yeah. and then you do the reperfusion, when you do the reperfusion of the liver, there's quite a bit of hemodynamic instability. So what it happens is then when you have a stability, you have to go on bypass. I see. So, so there's like one right after the other. One right after the other, but it's important in terms that, you know, it manages the antibodies. So, so we're always worried about, you know, hyperacute rejection with the antibodies. So having the, the liver first, you know, give us, you know, peace of mind. Uh, you know, we have published uh, uh, this, you know, that today uh, lead the way uh, on, on this. 
how can you tell if a heart that's placed in ex vivo perfusion is a good heart? Well, first, uh, you know, I'm a surgeon, so I'm a little bit like a, you know, plumber, if you would say. <laughs> so I like to see that heart beating strongly, directly in there. Yes. Uh, yes. You could you could see there. So whatever something looks weak in there, you know, I, I get nervous. So that's, uh, you know, more sort of the macroscopic standpoint that you could see how the heart is, is looking like. But then what uh, it has been a study in the clinical trials on the OCS device is the lactate. So the, um, the heart this has this unique capability that can metabolize the, the lactate. And then so if the heart is working fine, instead of, you know, producing lactate because it's ischemic or damaged, then uh, start metabolizing the, the lactate. So the lactate uh, that is produced by the heart during the perfusion on the OCS device, most of the time will, depends on the type of donor, but most of the time will at least uh, have to get stable or start coming down. So once if, if a lactate starts coming down, then you would think that the, that heart is, is working and then that you want to uh, use it. And then I think that is important because you perfuse uh, this heart very long or sometimes on, on the OCS device. So what happens is for a reason that we completely do not understand if the heart gets edematous. So you have to examine the heart before implanted to make sure, you know, that it hasn't gotten that much uh, edematous. So it's still a little bit uh, limited in, in the time that you could use. I mean, because we would like to do an elective heart transplant if, if you would like you know, will be way better for the team. But so far with uh, uh, the management that we have, how we know the technology has not allowed us this, this yet. So that is uh, the lactate, how you look, uh, you look at it and uh, whether or not the house has gotten uh, edematous. And then you have to also, you know, do an integration, how, how sick is your patient uh, just to move forward with the transplant or, or no, or you can wait. Now, for our listeners who maybe have never seen a device, I know we'll have a link available where they can watch a video, but just for now, how big is the device? And is it battery powered or do you have to keep it plugged in? Or is it on wheels? You know, give us a picture of what the actual device is like that the heart is in. Yeah, so uh, the, the device would be like the size probably of a, probably a dishwasher machine or something like that. And then it will have wheels that uh, you could get it uh, around. And then it has an area where it goes the disposable, where the heart goes. Uh, so it's a device, and you can monitor over the hematocrit, the saturation of, of, of the blood. You could monitor the, the blood pressure. It has a monitor that monitors the, the blood pressure and the coronary flow. Most of the time, it will be flowing around 750, 800 cc per hour on the coronary flow. It has batteries. But uh, it is uh, safer, you know, of course, to get a plug, to have a, a battery is always, as a, you know, backup, so you don't want to get in trouble. If you ask me, I mean, sometimes we have a little bit of problems in the planes to put it in. You know, probably, in, hopefully, in the future versions will be a little bit uh, smaller, so it's a little bit easier to, to handle. But uh, so far, you know, we, we don't have any other portable device, in, not even, and I think, clinical trials or FDA approved. And uh, so that, that's uh, what we're using. And it's, you know, it has all these capabilities. It's very nice. Probably, I like to say that um, other thing that, that um, it makes it a little bit um, 
difficult to, to use the device is that we would like to perfuse the, the heart, obviously, with, with blood. That is a little bit of a limitation because when you do the donor, essentially what we do is we put a cannula in the right atrium. And uh, at the time, right before crush clamp, we drain the blood of the donor to use it on the on the circuit. You, remember, you have to remember that this is kind of an ECMO, a portable ECMO circuit mm -hmm. for the for the heart. So um, in that period that you know we have to drain the blood of the donor, all the other organs that are getting procured in the same donor, they get a little bit nervous because you know the blood pressure goes down, obviously, mm. because you know we sure. sort of goes down the you know obviously the preload of the heart and the blood pressure, but it's a very short uh, period of time. You could get the blood normally in one to two minutes, and then all the organs can get flushed for you know transplantation. While the heart is in the machine, in the OCS machine, um, are there any therapies that can be applied? Well, there, there has been in 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 uh, heart. I'm not that aware. Maybe some experimental work. I'm very aware in in, in um, uh, lung that while the heart is, you know, getting perfused, that you uh, there's uh, some group of investigators that have applied, uh, applied, for example, UV light, UV light to get rid of hepatitis C virus. So, so for example, we have to uh, you we have to understand that um, there's around 20 percent of uh, our um, uh, donors are from a drug overdose and from those 20 percent have hepatitis C. So uh, now what we do that we treat the recipient, you know, with antiviral to get rid of the hepatitis C donor, but it has demonstrated that also if you could perfuse an organ, you know, on ex vivo perfusion and then use UV light, you could get rid more uh, virus. So you could kind of decrease the viral load before implantation on the recipient. So uh, I can, you know, I can imagine that there are several therapies that we would like to have, but we, we haven't gotten to the point uh, really, particularly in lung, I think I like to see, you know, for lungs with pneumonia, for example, that you would be able to be perfused for a long period of time on, uh, with antibiotics and uh, probably recover the pneumonia, but the, the, the time so far is, is not enough, but it, the, it, it has potential. So we, we need, uh, to understand better what produces the edema in the tissues, because this is something that, you know, it gets produced in lung and the heart uh, with a, a long perfusion. So uh, we can figure out that probably uh, we be able to have longer perfusions, more therapies, and probably more elective transplants. Absolutely remarkable that what had been a limitation to the transport stands to potentially become a therapeutic window where infections may be eradicated before an organ is donated. Really. Conceptually, that's just a remarkable thing. Are there any special advantages for the kinds of patients that we often see at Mayo Clinic? I think one of the, the most things that can have a greatest impact, I think there's multiple, so we could talk a little bit extensive about this. <laughs> Sorry about this, it's my passion. I could get very long, I mean, talking well, about it's fascinating. And then one is the DCD donors. You know, the, so so can everybody can understand because the, our traditional way, as we were talking about the cold storage, the traditional donors have been the donors after uh, brain dead. The, 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 the brain dead, the donor is legally dead and we could take the heart. But there's uh, many donors that they have had neurological injury. And uh, what happens is there's no future and the family decides to withdraw the care. So essentially there's a planned withdrawal of care 
and then that most of the time will happen in the operating room. And then uh, withdrawal care happens, palliative uh, care is started, and normally what happens is the blood pressure gets low, saturation gets low. There's a period of uh, cardiac arrest of five minutes, and after five minutes, you could declare death. So as a separate, separate from the transplant team, uh, death is declared, and then you could go in and you will open the donor, but the heart will be stopped and will be distended and will look terrible. <laughs> and we don't want that for transplantation. So what we do is that uh, this, this was pioneered in Australia and then uh, come back to Europe and now to the US. And then we take the heart and uh, put it on the uh, ex vivo heart device. And uh, we resuscitate essentially the heart. So you will see in those hearts that they have very high lactate, you know, to start. And then as you know, the heart starts uh, beating and then gets better, lactate is stabilized and, uh, you know, decreases and we could do that heart transplant. So uh, it, there has been already a trial in the US using these hearts uh, versus just using cold storage and the survival has been the same. I think that's what was the, the data that was presented in ICHLT shows. Survival is the same, DCD uh, versus brain dead donors, you know, recover with, uh, uh, with ex vivo heart perfusion. So same survival. And then there's a little bit more of primary graft dysfunction. So you put the heart on it, then you do the, the transplant and uh, there's more uh, dysfunction of the heart at the beginning. So you have to be quite comfortable on doing ECMO for a couple of days. And then uh, it usually quickly goes away because we normally take, uh, you know, young, strong hearts and then they get better. So we have done around, for example, this year, seven DCD heart transplants uh, here at Mayo. So, uh, and it continues to grow in our region and life source around 30% of the donors are DCDs. So it's a very important source, uh, you know, for, for heart transplantation. Um, and, and by the way, just to clarify for listeners, DCD stands for donor after cardiac death as opposed to donor after brain death, right? Well, we have tweaked a little bit what, what it stands for because, yeah. because we call it uh, donor after circulatory death. Because, you know, we think about the uh, cardiac death as, as an irreversible thing. In, the, in this case, you know, circulation has been stopped but we could recover the heart, you know, transplant it successfully and then have good function. So it has been uh, changed a little bit to donors after circulatory death. So that makes, that's what it makes good for. sense. You know, I, I have maybe one more question for you and that is these capabilities to travel with the heart eight hours, potentially longer, in essence, they'll, they stand to limit geographic boundaries of where donors and recipients are and could fundamentally change organ distribution rules. Do you see a change in transplantation on that basis in terms of how organs are distributed, the UNOS rules? Do you think there'll be a modification coming from this technological advance? Well, you know, the allocation for heart transplantation has been modified recently. So we're yeah. a little bit getting adjusted at this uh, point, but certainly what it happens, it has prioritized urgency. So for example, you have somebody on ECMO you will be status one, you have an, uh, you know, you're supported on an impeller, you'll be status two. 
and then it comes down, you have an assist device that you'll be status uh, for. So, and then you could take, uh, you know, first the has get offered to, um, you know, 500 nautical miles. So, uh, you know, a good range. That's uh, quite a long range. So I, I haven't seen any, any, you know, sort of discussions about this, about getting broader, but what it happens is that, I mean, we have gone all over the country, you know, we, I mean, we have gone to New Mexico, to Florida, South Carolina here from Mayo Clinton and Rochester to, uh, you know, Northern New York. And uh, that, that's the beauty of thing. And then, uh, you know, we don't have to get in an emergency, you know, to show the, the heart in. So it's quite remarkable. So it, it might happen later on when it gets more widespread use, but I, I don't think um, I, I've seen something um, happening uh, these days. Dr. Billy Vicencio, absolutely fascinating discussion. Thank you for joining me. It's remarkable to see the advances that you and your colleagues have been bringing to this space that continue to evolve. And uh, thank you for sharing some of that with us today. Well, thanks very much for the invite and uh, uh, look uh, forward to see you all, you know, in the cardiology side working. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Feel free to share your thoughts and suggestions about the podcast by emailing cvselfstudy at mayo.edu. Be sure to subscribe to the Mayo Clinic Cardiovascular CME podcast on your favorite platform and tune in each week to explore today's most pressing cardiology topics with your colleagues at Mayo Clinic. This has been a Mayo Clinic podcast.